This is Acast Recommends. Every week, we pick one of our favourite shows. And this is one we think you're going to love. Hello, I'm Jeff Lloyd, and I recently had a baby with Ed Miliband. A baby podcast, that is. It's a spin-off of our show, Reasons to be Cheerful. It's called Cheerful Book Club, and it's conversations with some of the best writers working in the world today. You'll really enjoy our chats with people like US broadcasting legend Rachel Maddow, literary giant Ian McEwan, and the big, short and moneyball author Michael Lewis. Feed your brain with ideas from the Cheerful Book Club. You'll find us on the excellent Acast app or wherever else you get your podcasts. Acast is home to the biggest podcasts from Ireland and around the world. Subscribe to this show and hundreds more now via Acast or wherever you get your podcasts. It's time for Stay On Your Feet, the Mirror Football Podcast. With Sam Matterface. Yes, the Mirror Football podcast is back with a lineup even PSG's millions can buy. <laughs> That's not true. Coming at you this week are the words Manchester and United already being engraved on the Premier League trophy. <sighs> Should Liverpool take Tony Pulis on secondment? No. Can Arsenal borrow him next then? And are we overreacting or is Antonio Conte already on his way out of Stamford Bridge? Mm. Plus, how are Chelsea going to deal with facing Tottenham minus Sesk and Gaz? And who is already concerned that their tenure is going to be shorter than Lorenzo Insigne? <laughs> uh, plus, in the video section, you'll be able to see a Newcastle fan attempt to get in a strip from 1995, and I'll bring you some big news from Africa. All that with our horde of mirror football journalists and columnists, plus special guests too. Coming up, Darren Lewis talks Chelsea, Stan Collymore talks Liverpool and Wayne Rooney, and Seb from Hashtag United joins us live. Hello and welcome to the Mirror Football Podcast. We want you to get involved on Twitter at Stay On Your Feet or on Instagram at Stay On Your Feet TV. My name's Sam Matterface and this is producer Tom. How are you? I'm good, you? Yeah, good, thank you. Um, before we start, um, I've got uh, a Matterface mind bender for you. What's that? Ah, it's a, it's a, well, your club Liverpool had real problems again this weekend defending yes. set pieces. Yeah. And this week they take on Hoffenheim. Mm-hmm. From the Bundesliga, yeah, and no one scored more goals uh, from set pieces than them last season in that division. Is that is that a true story? That's a true story. Okay, that's uh, good. so you guys are going to have to deal with that. Uh, and I thought, why not uh, talk about the Premier League's rich history of free kick takers? For example, why not tell me the seven players who have scored the most Premier League free kicks? Do you reckon you can do it? Oh, give it a go. Well, have a think about it. And if you're at home or you're sitting on the toilet or you're in the gym or in the car, uh, why don't you play along as well? And then you can get in touch with us a little bit later on and tell us all about it as we tackle the issues of the day with the same sort of rigour and discipline as that Liverpool back line. All right, leave it. Uh, Beckham. I'm going to go Beckham first of all. Yeah, he's the top one. You've got another six to get. Go see if you can do it. I'll anyway, think. take the show. You mm. know, take the time. Don't, don't, don't rush it. Right, so where were you this weekend? I went to Brighton. Okay, good. Liked it. It was really good. Set up there is fantastic. Not the formation on the pitch, 5-5-0, but behind the scenes, it was very, very good. Mm-hmm. Um, they're very accommodating. They've got like a Champions League mix zone underneath oh, the aspirational. stand. Well, listen, it's the Premier League and the way it should be set up. I thought it was excellent, I've got to be honest with you. Uh, it's a nice little stadium. It's out of town, uh, but you can get there pretty easily from uh, the heart of Brighton. A lot of people went into Brighton beforehand, walked around the lanes, went to the seaside, then came up, enjoyed the day, had a few shows. Brighton, yeah, yeah, fantastic, and it, it was just a great atmosphere. So, uh, good luck to them over the course of the season. I think they'd have to be a little bit more ambitious, but it's the first day, so 
you never know. And they're never going to uh, compete with Manchester City. Uh, Manchester City have got some great footballers and, of course, they'll be up there at the end of the season. Um, what about you? What did you watch? I obviously watched the Liverpool game, um, which was like being on Groundhog Day again. The text messages you sent me. <clears throat> yeah. Well, uh, the one positive, I'm going to try and stay positive, is that we still look dangerous on the offence uh, with Salah. Um, no Coutinho, obviously, that's another reason to not be cheerful. But but actually, going forward, we look good. Set piece, it's just horrific. It's just a horror show. I don't know whether or not you've been inspired by the uh, American nature of this great podcast, but offence? Yeah. Seriously? <laughs> Let's look at the website. Get in touch on Instagram or Twitter. So on the Mirror website today, we're looking at a whole host of different stories, including a rather expensive lunch for the lads from Manchester United who went in to celebrate under Herrera's birthday and came out with a couple of parking tickets. I'm sure they can afford it. Um, Chelsea are going to splash 120 million quid apparently on the Premier League trio of Oxlade, Chamberlain, Van Dyke and Danny Drinkwater. Our transfer news blog is up and running as always on the website. And uh, there's a story here about City looking to try and make Arsenal part with Alexis Sanchez. They're offering up 50 million quid. Uh, Jamie Carragher has told Antonio Conte not to panic. Everton could be about to lose Gareth Barry who's set to sign for West Bromwich Albion in search of first-team football. And Jurgen Klopp is on our website as well, discussing the possible transfer of Philip Coutinho. Apparently, he's a money-can't-buy commodity. He's not selling him at any price. We shall see. We'll talk about that with Stan Collymore in the next few moments here on the Mirror Football Podcast. And just uh, below that, we've got a great story about Jose Mourinho relaxing, mixing in with the general public in Manchester after watching Manchester United thump West Ham over the weekend. The Mirror Football website, mirror.co.uk forward slash football, available for you 24 hours a day, seven days a week, with all the top stories, everything you need to know to keep you up to date. The Mirror Football Podcast. Let's get our teeth into what is becoming a very big story involving Liverpool, Jurgen Klopp, and Philippe Coutinho. Uh, Philippe Coutinho didn't go away for the Champions League game this week. And reports suggest that Barcelona are going to come back with a mega money, £120 million deal uh, for the Brazilian attacking midfielder. But is that going to be enough to prize him away from Liverpool? Should Liverpool take the cash or should they try and keep hold of him? Let's speak to the former Liverpool forward, Stan Collymore and the digital editor of Mirror Sport, Matty Lawless. First question then is, in the end, does Jurgen Klopp turn around and go, OK, I've got to get rid of him because the money's too good and he actually wants to be elsewhere? Or if they keep saying it enough, will he believe it himself and they'll flex their muscles and keep hold of him? Um, quite simply, they should get rid of Philip Coutinho. If they're going to get £110, £120 million pounds for him, I mean, Craig Yemeni radio shows and, and column, mirror columns have done in the last couple of years where Philip Coutinho, a lot of Liverpool fans, would have driven into John Lennon Airport for £60 million a year ago. Um, he's a very good player. And I think at Barcelona, he will probably fly because he's playing in a team that he's going to hammer most teams most weeks, that he's very attacking and arguably two of the, the world greats. And, and I'd have to put Luis Suarez in world great because I think he would he would be a great goal scorer, a hard worker, a great creator in any generation. I think he gets kind of missed out when we talk about Ronaldo and Messi. Um, but I think that, that Philip Coutinho would fit in at Barcelona very well. But let's be perfectly honest, Philip Coutinho has 
four or five great games a season for Liverpool, maximum. So for £120 million, pounds, that's, that's club-building money. And what we have, Sam and, and Matty, is a situation whereby every football fan thinks, oh, it's not really that much money these days because that's only going to get you two players. Yeah, if you're stupid enough to think um, that you want to go and spend £60 million on Van Dijk and £60 million on somebody else, this is serious club-building money. And if they do what uh, Atletico Madrid, um, Monaco, Dortmund have done over a number of years, this could significantly flesh out Liverpool's squad uh, if the scouting network is, is good enough to be able to bring in the rough diamonds that Spurs have, uh, that other clubs have. Uh, there's no necessity for them to go and spend it all in, in, in one block. But to answer your question briefly, I would sell Philip Coutinho for anything north of £80 million pounds all day long. Matty, what do you reckon? I don't want to see him go. I think he's box office. I think he's the type of player we want to see in the Premier League week in, week out. But as Stan says, if, if Liverpool get this right and they get a scouting system right more than anything, there are players out there who can do the same job. I mean, let's not forget they lost Suarez and Coutinho came in and he filled his boots. So there will be someone out there. For me, that player, and I would go to him all day long, would be Manuel Lanzini. He's a fantastic player for West Ham. He's the type of number 10 that would get Liverpool fans excited once he's there. Not before he arrives at the club. Um, they probably think, oh, no, he's not quite a Liverpool player. But he is fantastic. And if they get the players in to do that job, it doesn't matter who they are. They just need to do that job. Save their money, scout properly and bring in four, five or six top quality youngsters from around the world. The next Mbappe, the next Coutinho to be able to flesh out that squad this time next year. They don't have to spend it all now. Save for what you said about def that they're defending is, at the moment, set pieces, is Arsenal-esque. Um, it's worth pointing out that Liverpool are some way off the pace in terms of challenging for the Premier League. They've got to play the Champions League playoffs over the next couple of weeks. They're desperate to get into the group stages. But challenging for the top honours, how far away are they from mounting a serious title challenge, Matty? Well, they're far away in terms of if they need to keep players like Coutinho. But that makes a good point. Mahrez, why is nobody speaking about him? Perhaps for me, it's, it's his age. Um, in terms of is there a sell-on value there? Maybe not. Uh, if you're going to pay, what well, I think Leicester are after £50 million for him, what's the sell-on value in that? Probably very little for Mahrez. I wouldn't think you'd recoup that. So that's probably part of the strategy and the thinking behind maybe not going for a player like him. Sanchez, another good point. But that's the type of player Liverpool need to mount their title challenge. We saw on Saturday against Watford, they couldn't beat Watford. And a lot of that come down to zonal marking, where players you know, not taking responsibility or accountability and leaving players unmarked. You know, Whether it was should have been disallowed or not, the Britos equaliser, it's, it's irrelevant. Liverpool shouldn't have put themselves in that position. Um, and that's why, for me, if they can't beat teams like Watford, I don't care if it's the first game of the season or the 15th or the 20th, the 25th game of the season, then they're not going to win the league. The thing is, Sam, let's be honest, we could, we could all play on a Sunday morning here, and if you've got a manager that says to you, it's your individual responsibility, whether you're five foot six or six foot six, to mark somebody properly, to make sure that you want to go and win that ball, is that, that, that a lot of that's missing. All of a sudden, a lot of football fans think you have to just go and buy a six foot five defender that's good bringing the ball out the, uh, out the, uh, out the box and, and carrying the ball into midfield a la John Stones. Just want someone um, who heads the ball, don't you? 
Well, exactly that's what I mean. It's kind of like they, they had somebody like that in Mamadou Sakho. The fact is, is that Jurgen Klopp has got away without getting too much criticism, not only from former players, not yes. only from fans, but also from journalists as well. Everybody's sort of fallen for this big smile and this very happy-go-lucky personality. But the fact is, we're two years into his reign almost, and they can't defend set pieces. They haven't mounted a serious title challenge, and they threw away the opportunity to win a, a cup competition last year against Southampton, and against Wolves and against Plymouth as well. I mean, it, Matty, it, it hasn't been brilliant, has it? No, not by a long shot. Like you say, that uh, charm and charisma sort of won everybody over. But Klopp's, you know, very much under the microscope this season. If things don't go right for him and he's got a critical fortnight ahead, he could really be in a fire alarm. Really could. Stan? Yeah, I mean, like I say, I mean, I, I, I looked yesterday and I thought to myself, well, I can't speak for, for I was presuming... Uh, Joey was talking about the likes of maybe Jamie Redknapp and Danny Murphy and Diddy Haman. Um, I know Diddy Haman's been, I'm not Diddy Haman's biggest fan of his punditry, but I know he's been critical. And like I say, I looked back at the mirror columns yesterday and I've had a go at Jurgen Klopp at everything for the way that he's dealt with Sacco, um, the, the, the way that he's played 4 3 3 with a reckless abandon at times with no natural holder when Jose Mourinho has gone out of his way to make sure he's put Nemanja Matic in front of a back four pairing with whether it be Pogba, whether it be Herrera, whether it be um, Chelsea playing and Golo Kante. So there's, I think there are, I think to be fair, I mean if you look, there's been plenty of criticism of, of Jurgen Klopp. I just don't think it's been a love Stan, let's talk about Everton and Wayne Rooney because you were at the game on Saturday taking in their match against Stoke. I've seen them a couple of times in European qualifying. Uh, we've all had our say on him. We've all thought that he was probably past his best, but he looks lean, he looks mean. I've never seen anybody so happy to score a goal. And after the game as well, his interview, he was just, he was full of energy. I mean, what what has happened, do you think? Um, I, I mean, I, I like most people, I, mean, I think I've got this horribly wrong because I actually watched him taking up those pockets in the number 10 position that he did for Man United. And he just looked, he got it, and he was spraying balls here and there because he didn't feel that he had the belief to be able to get in the box. And I saw that happen five or six times at Goodison because I was watching him really closely. And he, worked, he was working hard, as he always does. There's never ever been a question about his work rate. But the question has been, as he's got older, has he, has he got the ability to get in the box? So I wrote a tweet saying, you know, he's willing, but he can't. He can't do it. Of course, then he picks up the ball on the halfway line, he nicks it, he gets in the box, he finds his face and scores a goal. So you get the classic sort of commentator's curse, which we, which we, or journalist's curse, whatever you want to put it, which we've all had. Um, I'm, I'm, I'm thankful the one partial get-out I had in that tweet was that he was that he was working his socks off, and he was. Um, I just think that it's going to be this season about using him sparingly. I, I can't. Man United wouldn't have let him go if he could do that for 38 games. You know, if he could... Yeah. If he could if he could pick the ball up and make things happen and run with the ball and get in the box and score, United just simply wouldn't have let him go, which is why he didn't play as much for United last season. Um, I think that for Ronald Koeman, that'll probably come in the form of most Goodison games, box office, giving the fans something back. Um, perhaps a, a deeper role in away games to try and manage games and then obviously playing him in Europe for his experience. Um, but I wouldn't be looking to, to for him to play much more than 35, 38 games in total in all competitions because you want that zip, you want that energy. 
And we know from what we've seen in weight of Wayne Rooney in the last couple of years that that when he's a little bit fatigued or the legs aren't quite able to do it, he just sits in little pockets, gets it, gives it, and looks a little bit sloppy. So, great debut. Fantastic goal. Um, fans loved it. Obviously, having him back. But I think it's just about managing Wayne Rooney and, and, and using him sparingly this season. Um, Matty, someone's got to break through that glass ceiling of the top six at some point. Can it be Everton this season? Um, I don't think so at the moment. I think that without Rooney, they uh, lack a bit of leadership. And Stan's right, He's not going to play every game. Uh, so they still need to do a bit of business because if Rooney's not on the pitch for them, they still haven't got that kind of focal point in attack because they lost Lukaku. Um, Danny Welbeck is the target that they're really trying to pursue. Whether Arsenal will sell him or not, I don't think so because you know Wenger's got a lot of time for him and he's, he's fit again. Um, and Giroud, you know, Arsenal can't afford to sell him either. So Everton needs to quickly reassess their targets, in my opinion. And they need to bring in someone who can deliver the goods when, when Rooney's not playing. I thought Sandro looked impressive in terms of his footwork. Um, he did well as playing the build-up for that goal on Saturday. But we haven't seen enough of him yet to decide whether he can be prolific and, and clinical on a regular basis. So I would say Everton, until they find that kind of marksman who can score 20 goals like Lukaku did, then they won't be breaking into that top four. OK, uh, quick question before I let you both go, and it's been fantastic to have you both on, um, about the transfer window. The Premier League clubs are all talking about now deciding to end the transfer window for them before the start of the season. Good idea, bad idea. Stan? Fantastic idea. Um, you want to make it... Uh, look, we, we, we obviously live in a, in, a, in a global football village. Uh, I was over in the States in pre-season watching, uh, watching games. I've got their draft so, and, and, and have marquee players and et cetera, et cetera. So you have little nuances in, in, in around the world. Um, but I only really care about English football and the credibility of the tournament. Um, the notion that a club can, can do preparation time of four to six weeks, in that time, do some shopping or the bulk of their shopping, get the targets that they, that they should have been looking at all year, and then lose a game. Uh, and I'm not using Chelsea as an example, because I don't think Antonio Conte will make excuses for the defeat against Burnley, and he will have had his targets planned. It's just whether Chelsea want to buy them or not. Um, but then you can go out after a defeat on match day one or match day two and blow a hell of a load of money. Um, I think he's, he's unfair. So some people would make the counter-argument that if Spain closed the window till the end of August or early September, that means that uh, Coutinho, uh, Lukaku, Pogba, players like that are ripe for picking by Barcelona, Real Madrid, by Munich, whoever it is. Um, it's a valid point. But I think if, you, if with the Premier League money that we have, with a window that stops before the, the, the action starts, surely there's enough money, there's enough decent scouting or should be, and managers like to get their work done so that when we go into match day one, we know everything that we've got because it's unsettling and unfair on people like Virgil van Dijk, uh, on Philip Coutinho, on Alexis Sanchez. Some of those players would already be under the radar, of course, as Spanish clubs have already mentioned. But I think that we'd have a lot more sense in the market. Yeah, we'd have more competitive credibility. And also, we'd be able to do our fantasy teams properly without having uh, any worry that some of our players were going to get nicked, eh, Matty? <laughs> yeah, that's true. But, I mean, look, Stan's touched upon it. The Spanish and the French club could still nip in and, and nick the best players. But 
I think it just gives everyone that kind of it settles the squad quickly, um, and also it might give more kind of um, you know limelight to young players and give them an opportunity. So you know we're part of the squad already. We had a, a young lad called Declan Rice who came on at West Ham uh, for for West Ham. Old Trafford looked really good. Um, so you know he's part of the squad early on. But because business is still going on, come September he might go out on loan again. So we don't know. All right, gentlemen, thank you very much for coming on the Mirror Football Podcast. We appreciate it. Big style. See you soon. And whatever you do, just remember, stay on your feet. <laughs> Get in touch on Instagram or Twitter. Every week, Big Tom brings his big news. Uh, the important thing you must know, but no one else is talking about because it doesn't get you those retweets or those little red heart-like things. No. Uh, well, this week's big news is the contribution of African players to the Premier League. Interesting. Um, in case you missed it, in July it was decided by CAF that the African Cup of Nations will be moved to the summer months from 2019. Yes. Uh, slated to be played in Cameroon, it's the first time that Premier League or many Premier League fans will be able to fully commit to this tournament that is usually held in the winter months. And it's a dead year, so I get to give it my full attention and earn extra money. Absolutely. <laughs> absolutely. Um, but, but for you, it means you can get Panini albums, uh, do sweepstakes. Absolutely. All of that. All of that. Now, in case you escape your attention on Saturday, almost a third of the Premier League goals were scored by African players yeah. you had Salah Mane at Liverpool starting as they mean to go on you had the new boys Hagazi at West Brom and Mounier at Huddersfield um, so African players have consistently enriched the league for the last 25 years and this really gives the, the chance for the Premier League to retain all the talent for the domestic yeah. w busy winter schedule and for the fans to be free, to be liberated from the burden of supporting England and really adopt a, an African country of their own and really get behind a tournament. Um, what about you? You've done the uh, African I Cup have. of Nations before. Um, how, what do you think of the move? I, and what's I enjoy it, like? it. I like it. I mean, the thing for me is the move to June to July and July might stop certain countries from being able to host it because of the sort of climactic reasons, the threat of monsoon rain. Apart okay. from that, um, the idea that you'll have less players pulling out, like Joel Matip, from their European clubs. I think it was a bit more than that, but yeah, go on. Neom uh, as well, West Brom, others. Just because they don't want to upset the European managers, yeah. that obviously does play a part. Yeah. And you can see some great talent at the AFCON. Mm. For me, uh, it's the first time I saw Pierre-Emerick. Hi there, it's Caroline Foran from Owning It, the Anxiety Podcast, and this is a Staycast from Acast. Please, please, please do follow the government's advice right now, which is currently to stay at home where possible. The sooner we all get on board with these measures, the sooner we will be all together again. While you're staying at home, here's a recommendation for another great podcast for you to listen to. I think we need a bit of comic relief more than ever, so why not try the Two Johnnies podcast, available on the Acast app or wherever you get your podcasts. Birmingham, and I was like falling in love with him straight away. It was mm. fantastic. Um, so listen, you can see so much great football all over the world, all over the year. But it does give Africa a chance to sort of get the spotlight that they deserve for that particular tournament. So uh, I'm, I'm pleased they've decided to move it to the summer months in a dead year as well, 2019. I think it starts. Yep. Which is great. Okay. Um, do you want to have another go at the mind bender? By the way, have you got another guess Ooh, for us? We're looking uh, for the seven uh, top scoring Premier League free kick takers since 92. I'm thinking back to previous fancy teams that I've picked over the years. I'm going to yep. go with a, a left field one, Morton Gantz Pedersen. Oh my God, he's actually in there. Is he? Yeah. <laughs> Cultured left foot. Oh, it's a wand. I hate the fact that you got that Sorry. so early. That's annoying. So you've got Beckham and Gamps Pedestan. You've got five more to get. That's probably where it's going to end. But no. I'll, I'll keep thinking. I'll keep thinking. 
The Mirror Football Podcast. Now, if you believe some of the stuff you've seen floating around this week, Diego Costa is being held captive in his own home. Chelsea have got less players than Donald Trump has allies. But let's find out the definitive ahead of a weekend showdown with Spurs by speaking to Mirror Sports' Darren Lewis. Hi, Darren. How are you? Sam, you well? Yeah, good. Thank you. Um, I'm probably better than Chelsea, actually. Um, last year, champions. This season, it all seems to be falling apart at the seams. I, I mean, is it really as bad as everyone's making out? Or uh, are we sort of uh, overreaching and going over the top a little bit like Gary Cahill on Saturday? Uh, well, it's a bit of both, really, because on the one hand, last September, they looked in a mess. It looked as though they wouldn't finish in the top four. You may remember, and obviously everyone watching will remember that Arsenal uh, really took them apart at the Emirates. They lost 3-0, and it looked at that stage as though they wouldn't finish in the top four, let alone top of the pile. They went on to win the league, basically pulling up. So on that basis, you have to say that all of this must be taken with a pinch of salt. That said... At the moment, you look at the two Manchester clubs, they look in rude health. Manchester United looked outstanding on Sunday. Arsenal have done their business. They've got a strong squad. Spurs have got the best balanced squad in well, side in the Premier League, and they are looking to get more signings. The Ajax defender looks as though he's going to sign for Spurs. So all of the other clubs in the top six look as though they are in good shape, except for Chelsea, who at the moment look as though they have a decent first eleven, but they don't have the depth uh, in terms of the wider squad. And they've got the Diego Costa problem hovering over them. That refuses to go away. Conti's hand long, handling of it in question. Um, and I just, I, I just don't understand, and I'm sure lots of uh, neutral fans and Chelsea fans will feel the same, how, Spur, uh, how Chelsea keep finding themselves in this situation. They look as though they're strong, they are undermined, for, undermined from the inside, and then suddenly it's a drama surrounding the club. I don't understand it either. I mean, because if you have a look at it in sort of the cold light of day, I, I can't work out how they're going to cope at the weekend against Spurs away from home. They've got no Cesc Fabregas, they've got no Gary Cahill, Pedro might be injured. Yeah, Bakayoko apparently cha- trained earlier this week. But if, if you take out Pedro and Bakayoko, they could have just 11 fit and available senior outfield players. For, forget the kids, forget the academy graduates. 11 fit senior outfield players going into the weekend. That is a balmy situation to get yourself into when you've just become champions and you've piled on a whole new plethora of games in the Champions League upcoming for the season. Absolutely right, Simon. And here's a, a big part of the problem is this. For a long way during the second half of last season, it looked as though Chelsea were going to win the league. They were in a situation where they should have been planning ahead, where they should have been looking forward to the summer transfer window, where they should have been in for some of the big players, the likes of Romelu Lukaku, who has wanted to go back to Stamford Bridge for as long as we all can remember. Uh, And yet United come in and pinch him. Other clubs do their transfer business before Chelsea do. Chelsea are now in a situation where they're almost hunting players but are going to be held to ransom by clubs who know that their need is great. So who's to blame for this? I mean, is this Antonio Conte's fault because he sent a text message to Diego Costa and put a spanner in the works and he fell out with the main striker? Is it to do with the board? Are they distracted because they're building a new stadium? 
Whose fault is it? Is it Emanalo's fault? Because he's supposed to be the director of football, bringing all the players. I mean, who's who's to blame for, for this situation at Chelsea? Because, you know, some people will, will turn around and say, oh, they've got all these players on loan. It'll be fine in the end. But from the outside looking in, from the critical eye looking at it, I don't think it is going to get much better. I think that the Diego Costa thing is a slight red herring in terms of who is at fault for this. Because if you look at Conti, he's allowed some players to go that could have given depth to the Chelsea squad. Chalobah should still be at Chelsea. They should still be able to find a place in that squad for a player in whom they've invested so much time since he was a kid. Tammy Abraham should still be in that squad fighting uh, for a place, maybe playing, coming on late in games, maybe starting uh, against the so-called smaller clubs, maybe in the League Cup as well. They've got such a packed programme. Some of those players that they've allowed to go to other clubs to, to kind of further their ambitions should be at Chelsea actually doing what Chelsea have developed them to do. And so from that point of view, you do wonder, 17 players in total is allowed to leave. Whoever is allowed Matic to go to Manchester United, that, well, um, listen, we can talk all day about that. But that should not be well, the it, case. Well, it, look, it looks crazy. I mean, and the noises that are coming out are that he isn't happy about the fact uh, that the club sold um, him to... Um, to Manchester United, but there are other suggestions today that actually he said he wasn't a first-team player, so he could go if they wanted to make money on him. Sam, um, Sam, here's the point though: even though he wasn't a first-team player, even though he was unhappy at not playing regular first-team football, the club are in control and the club need depth. You don't let him go until you've got a player either available to play for you or in the door able to come in. For the programme they've got. Look at the fixtures they've got, Sam. They've got Everton. They've got Leicester. They've got uh, Spurs on Sunday. They've got Manchester City coming up. Uh, they've got a Champions League fixture. Chelsea needed to be thinking about Chelsea first and everybody else second. As things stand at the moment, they have been the authors of their own misfortune. That's why we are where we are at the moment. And what about the latest uh, reports this morning? £120 million splurge by Roman Abramovich, apparently. He's going to get Drinkwater, Virgil van Dijk and uh, Oxlade-Chamberlain for his manager. Is there much truth or hope for Chelsea fans in those rumours? Well, they do want uh, Oxlade-Chamberlain. Uh, he's playing left wing-back at the moment for Arsenal. He's not a left wing-back. Uh, he's a central midfielder. Obviously, you can play him in a more advanced position. Uh, and I, I don't think he's going to stay at Arsenal. I, I think he's going. he's got 12 months left and he does want to move on, does want to play regularly in World Cup. Yeah, and I think he will either go to Chelsea or Liverpool. Van Dijk's a little bit more difficult because Southampton, we're all assuming that they're going to roll over and cave in and give uh, Virgil van Dijk to one of the big clubs. I still think he wants to go to Liverpool. And I, I, I think as far as the likes, for example, of Barkley are concerned, I think Barkley wants to go to Spurs and I think Spurs will get that deal done. So it's not as simple as many people think in terms of Chelsea being able to do business. I, I do think they will do business. So well, Chelsea just going to end up with Danny Drinkwater and that's going to be it? No, I think they want a new left back as well, left wing back. Sandro Juventus, he may well come in uh, for Chelsea. They need a new right back as well. There are any number of options they've got. The boy Cancelao at Valencia might be one of them. Uh, and they need a new striker too. So, listen, it will be difficult because they're in a stage of the season where clubs can put the prices up and drive a hard bargain. Again, 
Chelsea have left themselves in a corner. It's just hilarious that they need all these players and we're coming towards the end of the transfer window and the season's already started. By the way, I suppose that's going to be a big subject of discussion now. The Premier League clubs have started to talk about closing that window before the season starts. We'll get onto that a little bit later on. Let's talk about Tottenham because Chelsea play Tottenham at the weekend and they've been a little bit slow in the transfer market as well. Is there any sign of incomings at uh, Wembley? I suppose it is now instead of White Hart Lane. Uh, well, Davinson Sanchez, the Ajax defender, we spoke about him a few seconds ago. Um, I think as far as he is concerned, he does want to come. He does want to work with Pochettino. Players see what Pochettino does, has done for the likes of Alderweireld, of Vertonghen, of Danny Rose, of Kyle Walker. And they want to work with him. He was an accomplished defender in his day. And uh, he's got the best defensive record in the Premier League with Tottenham. Had it jointly beforehand with Manchester United. And I think Sanchez would be a monster working with Pochettino. So lots of people talk about his deficiencies at Arsenal, at Ajax, forgive me. Um, when you look at the fact that they finished above Arsenal last season because they were so much more solid defensively, and at the moment they've got the best balanced side, I was saying before, in the Premier League, the most goals, the best defence in midfield, they're solid as well. I think that Spurs... There's less of a problem around their lack of signings as there is at Chelsea. OK, Anthony Taylor is the referee at the weekend. Victor Moses better be very, very careful. <laughs> well, I laugh, you know, but there is an issue surrounding the lack of self-discipline that suddenly has seeped into the, Ch uh, the Chelsea team because uh, last season they didn't have any sendings off at all. At the weekend, they became the first club to have two players sent off on the opening day. Uh, and Gary Cahill involved. He, he, there's been a bit of an edge to his game during preseason. He was involved in the incident which left Per Mertesacker with the cut on his forehead in the Community Shield. And then he was needlessly sent off against Burnley. Seth Fabregas sent off as well. So you can understand why Conte is saying to his men, let's have a look at this. Let's not put ourselves at the mercy of the referees who are showing us no mercy. He'll have to watch that this weekend. Uh, great to speak to you as always, Darren. Thank you very much for coming on the programme. Get in touch on Instagram or Twitter. Let's have a quick look at our Fantasy Football League. Stay on your feet. If you want to get involved in it, at Stay On Your Feet on Twitter. The pinned tweet is right at the top. How am I getting on? Because I had Lukaku this week and obviously that got me loads of points because I captained him up. He scored 10 goals against West Ham now. I knew he was going to get me loads of points. Yeah, How am we, I getting on? Yeah, we both captained him. You're above me. I think you're 100th at the moment. I'm about 116th. Uh, this is what's at stake. You can win this trophy. Get involved. It's on our pin tweet. Our current leaders, our current joint leaders are Mark Stainer and Dan Keat. And from the look of it, uh, one's a United fan and one's a Devertonian. So everyone else in the league, raise your game. We've got to knock them off. OK, uh, what sort of team did they have? Um, De Gea in goal, uh, Firmino and Lukaku up front and Chicharito. That's the same line front three as me. How comes he got more points? So oh, he's got Mo Salah as well yeah. and Danilo uh, and Ben Davis who scored yeah. at the weekend. Points I mean, all. What a fantastic goal that was from Tottenham. Every single one of the players you would have in your fantasy team touched it in the build-up. And then Ben Davis finished it off. Yeah. Fantastic. It's who gets the assist? Who gets that crucial pass, though? Uh, so, uh, yeah. OK, if you want to take part, you know how to do it. Go on our Twitter page. It's at Stay On Your Feet. And there is a, a pinned code at the top uh, to get involved in our league. And you could win a nice big trophy at the end of the season. Do you want to have one more go at the mind bender? You've got Beckham. You've got Morton against Pedersen. You've got five more. Here are some Premier. From a search. We just got interrupted by the Google <laughs> Assistant. 
<laughs> Can he give me the answer? I think he was trying to give you the answer. Okay, I, I'm going to It's jog my memory. I'm going to go for another one, another blast from the past. Uh, Nobby Solano. Oh, how did you get that? Is another dream you're, team must. You're, you're it's fan, me. fantasy league history. I wonder whether or not you've got a Google Assistant down by the side of you somewhere. Anyway, we're looking for the top it's seven not, Premier not. League free kick scorers of all time. If you haven't got them yet, the answer is coming your way shortly. The Mirror Football Podcast. Now, hashtag United are a football club, which has sent basically YouTube into meltdown. I'm delighted to say that uh, Seb is uh, on the line now. Hi, Seb. How are you? Very good, thanks, Sam. How are you doing? Yeah, we're really good, thank you. Now, come on, talk me through this. For people who haven't seen your YouTube videos, the team's YouTube videos, um, Spencer FC, explain to us very quickly how this all started and what this is all about. Because this, I'm not, I'm not joking when I say this is taking the world by storm. It really is. Well, it's, it, we're having a lot of fun with it. I mean, Spencer, my brother, he has a large YouTube channel, makes videos about football. Uh, we, we do a large campaign every year called the Wembley Cup. It's coming up again soon. But that was basically the start of it all. We, we found out that there were large amounts of people that wanted to watch YouTubers play football um, and watch football prepared in like a specifically edited way designed for a younger audience or, or an online audience. So we started our own team, Hashtag United. We entered ourselves into our own little divisional world that mirrors the, the way the gaming world works in five divisions. And instead of it being about us and all the other teams, it's about us and our journey and having to hit certain milestones and points totals to re win rewards for ourselves that are unlocked through sponsors and also progress through the, the different divisions. It's worth pointing out that you're not just a football team, and you are a football team, but you're also, you know, I've seen you play Aston Villa staff, Man City staff, other bits and pieces on your YouTube channel. Um, but you're also um, a bunch of gamers, aren't you? You're playing in interactive World Cups, etc., etc., which are upcoming. Yeah, so we also have an esports team to Hashtag United where we have four guys that are, some of them do sometimes play for the football team, but they are separate guys. So they're professional FIFA players, if you like. So they play FIFA 17, currently the title for, for a living. Uh, they fly all around the world to the big events hosted by EA and, and various other uh, companies. But uh, yeah, the one this week, the FIWC, the way that's grown now, our guy, uh, Hashtag Tass, he'll be competing for quarter of a million dollars uh, this is this is amazing price. because there'll be parents that are watching this there'll be there'll be mums and dads watching this there'll be uh, people who spent half their life playing fifa thinking what yeah. you can earn money playing fifa I i'm not gonna go out my kids anymore well that's that's exactly it i mean and fifa is just growing as an esport you know some of the esports um the, the world championships for for example some of the, the other games they're 18 million dollar prize fund uh, watched by stadiums of 80,000 people uh, over in Asia. I mean, absolutely phenomenal. And we've got this world of content creation in the football world and obviously how popular a game like FIFA is. That's We're just at the beginning. Last year, the top prize was 20 grand. You know, it's 10 times that this year. So uh, it's incredible where that could go as well. And of course, we mentioned the Cup just moments ago and you played in that last year. And uh, I was looking at your Twitter feed last night and it said that it's the 45 seconds that you cherish most in your life. Uh, you scored yeah. at Wembley. What did it feel yeah. like? Oh, it was incredible. I mean, yeah, so it, me and my brother, I played on his team, Spencer FC. We played another team of YouTubers, captained by a guy called Joe Weller. Uh, we had Jamie Carragher, Robert Perez, Peter Schmeichel, JJ Kotcher, Patrick Cloyver, split across the two teams. We sold 22,000 tickets to Wembley Stadium, and the, the game was seen by, I think, uh, over 5 million people online. Uh, so crazy, crazy numbers. And I, I was lucky enough, at 4-4, we got a penalty. And uh, I picked the ball up and no one seemed to take it off me. Uh, very, very fortunate that 
Peter Schmeichel had just been substituted moments before. So I was, uh, I was taking it against the YouTube goalkeeper, which was still a good guy, but not quite the same CV as Peter. Uh, so yeah, slotted it into the corner and did a little celebration with Spencer, you know, in, by the corner flag in front of 22,000 people. Quite surreal, really. The power of these YouTube influences is, is unbelievable, isn't it? You mentioned your brother and how much of a following he has got. I mean, is it true that he and Gareth Bale went to Wales on a promotional event and when they got there, all the kids came running over and Gareth Bale thought, oh, they're coming for me and they all ran up to Spencer. Is that, is that a true story? Well, it's an, it is, there's a lot of truth in that. Yeah, so Spencer was uh, having some time with Gareth uh, around the Euros um, and Gareth was doing lots of media interviews, one of which was with Spencer and then there were some school kids who came over uh, to the area where everyone was recording and you know they went past Gareth and went to Spencer, not necessarily because... They think Spencer's any better than Gareth Bale or anything like that. It was more because I think it sort of sums up this whole world is they felt like a closer association with Spencer. The way they interact with his content and his videos and him as a person is so much more engaged and close, whereas they sort of see Gareth Bale as this global megastar that you know they don't have any real affinity with. They, they worship him, uh, but they don't feel that attached to him. And I think that's why uh, you know they're almost scared of him. I think that's why um, the YouTube creators you know are able to have the successes and the the sheer viewing numbers they've got is because the younger audience is spending their time online watching YouTube videos or, or social media in general just feel so much more connected to the guys in those videos than they do with the polished, you know, brand aware, um, mega, mega money involved in the elite sport. Um, and Spencer's got a book out, hasn't he, in the next couple of weeks in, in, in order to sort of try and give his side of the journey that he's been on? Yes, absolutely. So it's called Game Changer. Um, it's pre-orders are available now. Um, basically, that's telling the story, how he started from uh, an internship uh, in, in Channel 4, uh, a stand-up comedian, progressed through working for Vincent Company, uh, working for different YouTube channels, to now having his own YouTube channel and flying all around the world, playing against footballers like Vincent Company uh, at you know national stadiums in front of thousands of people, which is a bizarre story and a journey, but it, it's a bit, there's a lot of interesting stuff along the way. How's your golf getting on? All right. Yeah, the cops doing well. Yeah, um, I had a little baby girl recently, just over a month ago, so haven't been practicing uh, as much as I uh, normally do. But you know, I'm you know, having a lot of fun with the golf. Uh, I've got my little golf YouTube channel as well, um, which is which is a lot of fun. Uh, so yeah, enjoying it, loving it. Good stuff. Listen, thanks for coming on the program. We really appreciate it. Um, and uh, whatever you do, stay on your feet. Thanks. I will absolutely. Thanks so much. Great to be on. Thanks a lot. Cheers. That's Seb. Uh, from Hashtag United. Remember, you can check out Spencer's new book, which is coming out very soon, and the Wembley Cup, which is upcoming in October. Okay, so what are you doing this week? I'm off to Celtic, um, their game in the Champions League uh, playoff. I'm doing Sunderland at the weekend as well. They do uh, Leeds on Saturday night at 5.30, so I'm looking forward to both those games. Um, do you want the answer to the mind bender, by yeah, the way, before yeah, we go? Yeah, yeah, yeah. What you uh, got? Okay, so we're looking for the top seven Premier League free kick takers who have scored goals. So, so the top high, the highest scoring seven Premier League free kick takers. Beckham, you got 15. Yep. Man United. I said you got Nobby Solano. You didn't. He's just below the line of that seven. Oh. Only got nine. Tease it's 11 me. and above. Got it right. It's 11 and above you okay. have to get. Gianfranco Zola got 12. Yep. Thierry Henry got yeah. 12. You didn't go for Ronaldo. You got eleven. I don't know why you didn't mention. He's ballooned so many over the bar. That's why. Uh, Sebastian Larsson. Ah. Larsson Wenger once told me he was one of the best free kick takers he'd ever seen. Okay. Eleven goals for him. Laurent Robert. 
Laurent Robert. Everybody knows his name. That was Philippe Albert. Was it? Yeah, get it right. Uh, Morton Gamps Pedersen, you did get right. And just below the line of 11, uh, Ian Hart, Jamie Redknapp, Frank Lampard and Nobby Silano. Huh? Pretty Very impressive. Good. How many did you get? Well, I'd, I was setting the question. So you got two? All right. Two. If you got five, you're doing very, very well. So if you did get five, you can tweet us and tell us about it, at Stay On Your Feet on uh, Twitter. You can Instagram us, at Stay On Your Feet TV. Right, uh, that's it uh, for today's show. Thanks to all our guests, and thank you very much for taking part as well. We'll be back next Tuesday with another edition of the Mirror Football Podcast. What are you off to do now? I'm going to go and get my uh, Ghana top, Go Black Eagles. Okay, and I'm off to uh, rescue that poor... Poor soul who's being held against his will uh, by uh, some bad guys in West London. You know Sanchez from uh, Licence to Kill. Or the guy yeah. look... Just Google Goonies. it. Just, just Google it. I've got to rescue him. Jake, I'm coming, I'm coming. The Mirror Football Podcast. This is Acast Recommends. Every week, we pick one of our favourite shows... And this is one we think you're going to love. Hello, I'm Jeff Lloyd, and I recently had a baby with Ed Miliband. A baby podcast, that is. It's a spin-off of our show, Reasons to be Cheerful. It's called Cheerful Book Club, and it's conversations with some of the best writers working in the world today. You'll really enjoy our chats with people like US broadcasting legend Rachel Maddow, literary giant Ian McEwan, and the big short and moneyball author Michael Lewis. Feed your brain with ideas from the Cheerful Book Club. You'll find us on the excellent Acast app or wherever else you get your podcasts. Acast is home to the biggest podcasts from Ireland and around the world. Subscribe to this show and hundreds more now via Acast or wherever you get your podcasts.